You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Our politicians do great at making promises. And we all make promises from time to time. We don't always keep our promises. I've entitled my message this morning, God, the Ultimate Promise Keeper. God always keeps his promises. If you can get that down into your knower, God always keeps his promises. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? The answer is no, never. If he promised it, he will do it. Amen? Praise the Lord. That is something to be glad about. That's something to be happy about. That should give us a lot of confidence. In 1990, a men's movement called Promise Keepers was founded by Bill McCartney. He was the head football coach at the University of Colorado in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. McCartney got his inspiration for Promise Keepers, on March the 20th, 1990. After accepting Jesus Christ as his Savior while attending a fellowship of Christian athletes banquet, gave his heart to the Lord, and God downloaded something into his heart that changed a lot of men's lives and a lot of homes all over the, the world. Many men have been transformed by the power of God in these meetings. At its peak, it is said that close to 800,000 men were in, a, in attendance for a single rally. The Bible is a book of promises. Some estimate uh, that uh, there may be as many as 30,000 promises in the Bible. I want you to know that this guy didn't research this. I don't know how close they are to it, but I know there's a lot there. It is these kind of promises, these promises that build our faith and our confidence in God. When you're going through a difficult situation, when you're facing a financial disaster, when you're facing a medical prognosis that is not good by any stretch of the imagination. It is good to know that God has promised. When you're having problems in your relationships with, between husband and wife or parents and children, 
It is good to know that God has promised. Hasty promises made by friends and family and politicians and salesmen and religious leaders sometimes prove to be pleasant terms or false assurances. The intent may be honorable in most cases. The promises are hard to keep. We promise what we know somebody wants to hear. But in reality, usually it is way beyond our ability to fulfill those promises. Others are lying to begin with and have no intention of keeping a promise. But our God do not lie. Unless we see God in a different light, we will find it hard to believe his promises. The first point I want to make today is God is the ultimate promise keeper. God is not a man that he should lie. He does not lie. He's not a human he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? It is absolutely impossible for God to lie even once. God never, ever lies. We will never, never, never be disappointed in the promises of God's word. We will never be let down with the promises of God. The promises of God cannot and will not fail. The promises of God are reliable. They will always come to pass if we believe. Because God cannot lie and his word is truth. Now that's a key right there, if we believe. God's word says that if you can believe, all things are possible to those who believe. Faith plays a large part in how the promises relate to you and I. John 17, 17, Jesus said, make them holy, sanctify them by your truth, teach them your word, which is truth. God's word is truth. You pick up a lot of books today. You read magazines, and you read newspapers, and you don't know what to believe. But you open up your Bible and you can believe that it's true. If you don't believe the Bible is true, you've got some searching to do. The Bible declares that every single promise that God made to Israel came true. In Joshua chapter 21, 45, it says, Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. 
Everything he had spoken came true. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. The Bible describes these promises in the King James Version and in the New King James Version as exceeding, great, and precious. Exceeding great and precious promises. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us exceeding great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. The promises of God are exceeding and great and precious. As we trust in his promises, we learn to live above the lies and the corruption that is in this world today. We do not have to bow to fear and worry and doubt. We can know that if God said it, it is settled. All we have to do is stand on it. Because all the promises of God, the Bible says, is yes and amen. If you will believe, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Yes and amen. Yes, so be it. Amen. That is great stuff, guys. Secondly, the role of faith in claiming the promises. We can look at the past record of God to determine his trustworthiness. He is God who rescued Israel from the Egyptians, from slavery. He's the same God who parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River when it was necessary to cross. He's this God who rescued three Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. He's the same God who rescued Daniel from the lion's den. He's the God who released Paul and Silas from prison. He's the God who released Peter from prison. He's the God who spared Paul's life and all the souls with him in a great storm and a shipwreck so that every life was spared and Paul was allowed to go on his journey to end up in Rome and preach the gospel there. He is God who inspired Paul to write the book of Romans that says in Romans 10, 13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
I called out to him, and he saved me. Most of you in this room today called out to him, and he saved you. That's what his word says will happen. When you pray a simple prayer, when you admit to God that you're a sinner and that you need salvation, he saves you. You become born again. He has kept this promise to millions and he's still keeping this promise today, saving everyone who calls on him. You may wonder why I keep repeating the things that I know about God and his word. Why do I insist that you read the Bible on a regular basis? I'll tell you why. God's word is truth. The more truth that we can get into us, the better. John chapter 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's a lot of people that are bound today. There are a lot of people who have prayed the sinner's prayer and are still bound today. You see, that's just the first step. When you raise your hand on a Sunday morning and pray a prayer with me, that's your first step, that's your introduction to Jesus. But if you don't get into the Word of God, you are selling yourself short. A Sunday morning service just don't cut it, folks. No matter how good the preacher is, no matter how great the worship service is, if you're not grounded in the Word, you're going to be losing out. So that's why I say that. It is the truth that sets us free from the influences and the lies of the devil. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In other words, make it a little more simple. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. As you hear it, you begin to believe it. When you read it, you begin to believe it. There's a spiritual thing that is happening in your life when you read the Bible that is just as powerful when you say that sinner's prayer and you become born again and you know in your knower that you're set free, that you've been forgiven for all your sin. And this same Holy Spirit takes the word that is inspired and, and makes it real to your heart and helps you to know how to live and how to believe God for the things that you need in your life. I'm convinced that repetition of the word brings good fruit. It will accomplish that which God intends for you and I. It helps shed light and bring revelation concerning the plans and the purposes that God has for each one of us. One Bible verse quoted under the anointing of the Holy Spirit can do more for you than all my sermon notes combined. I know that. I believe that. We just trust that every, every scripture that the Lord 
impresses upon my heart to include in my notes is there for a reason. It's not to fill space. It is so that the Holy Spirit can grab your attention and help you to realize who you are in Christ and what God has done for you and the promises that he has made so that you can have a powerful life living in freedom in Jesus Christ. You may have read the Bible a dozen times in your personal devotions. You may have read it and quoted it a dozen times and heard it in my sermons or by others. But in God's perfect timing, it hits you like a bolt of lightning. One day, you've read it a dozen times, and then one day, one more time, and it strikes you. It's it just a light, like a light bulb comes on in the darkness of your soul, and you realize what God is saying to you through that verse. In God's perfect timing, your spiritual eyes are opened and you receive divine revelation. Such revelation sheds new light on eternal truth, the promises of God. Because when your faith is renewed, there is great expectation. When you start dwindling in your faith, you don't expect anything. The same old, same old. You probably say to yourself, well, I'm going to go to church again today. I know what they're going to do. They're going to sing four or five songs, and then they'll take up the offering, and then the pastor will say something. Sometimes he may be a little shorter than others, but usually I'm just waiting for him to finish. But when God gives revelation into your heart, when the word comes alive into your heart, you can't get enough of it. It's just like eating a good piece of Christmas cake or something. Mark, I think, mentioned about all the smells of Christmas. A lot of smells going on in our house. Effie is baking like crazy, and, and I'm smelling all of this stuff, and she always makes my my. My Chris, our Christmas cake and my birthday cake usually, usually doubles the same thing those years. One time I'd get two cakes, but I'm not that, I can't do that anymore. But, uh, but uh, I've been eating Christmas cake. It's a fruit cake with lots of raisins and all different kinds of fruit and, in it. And I've been eating it since I've been eating solid food. And uh, so uh, if he has got it baked up again, but I can't touch it because it's for a special time. But uh, it's great. It's good to be able to, to be in this time of the year and to realize how blessed we are as people. You know, as a young man, I never expected to live to see my 76th birthday. I never expected that. And I, I'm thankful for it. I love life. I don't know about you, but I love life. I love life just as much now as I did when I was 50 or 40. It's great to be alive when God blesses you with health, pain-free, a loving wife, loving children, grandchildren, 
Praise the Lord. That's blessings, folks. That's blessings. Amen? We rob ourselves of the blessings of God when we fail to believe His promises. What we do with the promises of God can spell success or failure in our lives. You know, I'm, I'm no special, super spiritual person. I probably don't fit in with most of the pastors. I'm just a guy that God took out of as a lumberjack. I started off my life as a lumberjack, a commercial fisherman, construction work, the oil business, and a whole lot of other things in between that. And I've gone through all of the things that most of you guys have gone through here in this building. And I came to a point where I began to believe God's word, began to read it, began to study it, and found out some things in there that if I applied it, it would work for me, and I applied it, and it did work for me. Folks, it's not difficult. You don't need a great education to experience what God has intended for you. A great education is good, and you need it for different, different uh, things in life. But for the genuine faith in Jesus Christ, having a home in heaven, living in good health and all of these things, God has it in the Word. And you believe it and you trust it. Failure to trust the promises of God caused Israel great pain and heartache and loss. Doubt with regard to the Word of God is unbelief. There's no, absolutely no faith in unbelief. And folks, the Bible is God's word, and, and, and I can't afford not to believe some of it. I've got to believe all of it, from cover to cover. Even the things that I don't understand, I got to trust that God knows what he's doing. When he put those words there, it was for a reason. And if it's not revealed to me yet, so what? I'm still going to believe it. Even though I can't, I can't understand it, I can't teach it, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to believe it. That's faith, folks. Faith is not based on anything but the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Let me say that again. We go through those verses so quickly and so fast sometimes that we just miss it. It goes over our head. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. 
Thirdly, God has proven himself to be reliable. There are millions of testimonies that prove that God is true to his word. There's an old song that we used to sing that goes like this. I know God's promise is true. Oh, yes, it's true. It's true. God's wonderful promise is true. For I've trusted and tested and tried it. And I know God's promise is true. I'm not speaking to you today of somebody else's experience. I know lots of people have experienced the same thing that I have experienced, but I know God's promise is true. I'm saying that for myself. It's not just a, a nice little chorus of a hymn. It's something that I have proven in my life. I've experienced divine healing in my body. I've experienced the most important miracle that could ever happen in anyone's life. I experienced salvation. Jesus saved me. I know that Jesus saves. I know that he heals the sick. I know that he blesses obedience and faithfulness. I know that he blesses giving. I know that he blesses people who pray. I know that he answers prayer. I know that he baptizes and fills believers with the Holy Spirit. And I have experienced these promises in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of others. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 to 20, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Shortly after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised to send a Messiah, a Savior, who would bring judgment on the serpent, the old devil. In Genesis chapter 3, 15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And here we see that God's promise, see God's promise of salvation in the future for the world. The serpent is identified in Revelations 12, 9 as Satan, the devil. In God's perfect timing, the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. The bruising of Satan's head refers to the crushing blow that Jesus delivered to him. The blow against his authority, his power. He was defeated. Our salvation was won at Calvary. The head is a spiritual symbol of the power and the authority of Christ, of the devil, right? And of course, our power too. But the head, 
For us, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Satan's power and authority was crushed when Jesus was resurrected. And in his resurrection power, Satan has no power now. Our other components of his promise were given to Abraham yet to be fulfilled. In Romans chapter 4.20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. God gave him a command and an amazing promise. God said to him in Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He goes on to say, I will make a great nation, make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be, be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in all and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and, this pro- and these promises were not immediately fulfilled. Abraham wandered in, in, in wilderness and in tents all of his life. But God had a promise. In Hebrews chapter 11, 9. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Galatians chapter 3.16, Now to Abram and his seed were the promises made. These promises were both physical and spiritual. And you have to know, you have to know your Bible to know what is what is physical and what is spiritual in nature. It's going to take you a long while to be able to figure all these things out on Sunday morning. But the same Holy Spirit that speaks a word into my heart for the next Sunday that I'm preaching will do the same for you when you read his word. Physically, Abraham's descendants would become a great nation and have their own land. Abraham walked in obedience and grew in faith, and God blessed him. Genesis 13, 2 says, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. God was blessing him physically, materially. Abraham says, Lord, I don't have a son to inherit all these blessings. Will my main man, my, the guy who manages my affairs, will he be my heir? And God said, no. I'm going to give you a son. Abraham, like all of us, got to a point where it seemed like the promise of God wasn't going to come true. 
And him and his wife decided between them that God must have meant that he would have a child some other way. And that child was Ishmael. You know the story. But God said, no, Ishmael is not going to be your heir. Isaac will be your heir. And at that point, Isaac wasn't even born. But God keeps his promise. And so, in Genesis chapter 15, 4 and 6, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This, is, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted to him for righteousness. That's what God thinks of faith. That's what God thinks of believing his word. God honors us when we choose to believe what his word teaches. This promised son would not be born until 10 years later. It was in God's plan to fulfill God's promise to bless all the families of the world. Spiritually, the promise was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus to be our Savior. Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, through whom people of every nation, tribe, and tongue may receive salvation. This is where the church fits in with the blessings of Abraham. In conclusion today, we are spiritual heirs of the promises made to Abraham and his seed. Beneficiaries of the blessings of Abraham. Paul explains it this way. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Not only the Israeli nation, but every nation. The Old Testament becomes much clearer in light of the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 3, 13 to 18, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's a changeless promise. Paul says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed, it is confirmed, 
No one annuls it or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He does not say to seeds as many, but as one. And to your seed, which is Christ. But as, as one. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For the inheritance is of the law, is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Remember, Jesus is the promised seed that bruised Satan's head. Genesis 3.15 speaks of two bruisings. Jesus bruised, uh, Satan bruised Jesus' heel, referring to his crucifixion. Jesus bruised Satan's head, and some versions say crushed, referring to his resurrection. Our Savior's horrible death for our sins was a, a wound rendered by Satan. His resurrection was a crushing fatal wound to Satan's power and authority, and all that Satan has left now is a lie. His power is in the lie. And if you will believe the lie, to you that becomes truth. The Christmas story is about life and hope and peace and joy. It's about a promise kept, a promise that keeps on giving. Every believer has been adopted into the family of God. Every believer. Romans 8, 17. And if children and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have inherited an eternal salvation. And all the promises that go with it. Yes, God is the ultimate promise keeper. Romans 8.3 says, The law of Moses was made, was unable to save because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So, God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies. We, were, we sinners have, the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. The Christmas season has so much more meaning than celebrating just his birthday. We who know the Lord know the whole story. And we know Jesus personally. Do you know him this morning? Is he your savior? Would you like to know him? If you would, I'd love to introduce you to him this morning. 
And as we open the altars up for prayer, if you have any need whatsoever, if it's salvation for your soul, if you want to know Jesus as your Savior, come. If you need healing for your body, come. Whatever you need, the promises of God are yes and amen to those who believe. Lord bless you. Have a great week in Jesus. If you need prayer, you come as the worship team leads. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.